0: allegedly, to where you can actually go off and do your own thing. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Boy, what a day we've had. Welcome into the program. It is the middle of the week, a Wednesday, the greatest day of the entire week. Why? Because we're still productive, yet we still see the light at the end of the tunnel, and that is a good sign all around. Welcome into the show, broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station, all over the country, radio, TV, live streaming, and podcasting, wherever you may be watching or listening. We appreciate you very much. Your Millennial General reporting for duty. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you are aware or not, but apparently there are some major medical issues going on with our President of the United States. And I don't mean by mental instability, I don't mean by the dementia that's setting in, I don't mean by him thinking that he's at his retirement home. I'm talking about something apparently very, very serious oh wait 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 we got to go into our biden basement first we have to go and listen to what joe biden had to say so let's do this
1: there we go let's go into the biden basement and because it was a four-lane highway that was accessible my mother drove us and rather than us be able to walk and guess what the first frost you know what was happening it had to put on their windshield wipers to get literally the oil slick off the window. That's why I and so damn many other people I grew up with have cancer. And why I can't for the longest time Delaware had the highest cancer rate in the nation.
0: Whoa. Joe Biden apparently has cancers. <laughs> Is that true? now the White House has come out to say that he does not have cancer. So there's that. But according to Joe Biden, on the campaign trail, out and about doing rallies, holding uh, holding different rallies, talking to people, apparently he's got cancer now. Now, the official White House statement says that he miss, he was misspoken, which, shocker, I guess, on that front, but said that he misspoken that he does not have cancer. But apparently he was being treated for some type of skin cancer earlier, a couple of years ago, sort of thing. But apparently, man, he's it's a battle of cancer that he's had to deal with for a long time, and especially in that area.
1: And because it was a four-lane highway that was accessible, my mother drove us, And rather than us be able to walk. And guess what? The first frost, you know what was happening. You had to put on your windshield wipers to get, literally, the oil slick off the window. That's why I and so damn many other people I grew up with have cancer, and why I can't for the longest time. Delaware had the highest cancer rate in the nation.
0: You know, we are waiting for this time, not for him to pass, because that's a god-awful thing to think about or say, because no one wants anybody to be harmed in any way, shape, or form. But we were waiting for this time, not due to the illness, but the excuse for the Democrats to brush him under the rug and be able to kick him out of office. We knew it was coming at some point. And has that time officially come now? I mean, the White House is trying to clear up the statement, but at some point you can't try to contain a Joe Biden when he doesn't know What he's saying or who he's talking to or the hands that he's shaking, even if the hands aren't actually there. We knew it was going to happen. We said that from the very beginning that uh, the question was the over under for the first year in office when they would say that, you know, he's got medical issues. He's not doing well. He accidentally fell down the stairs of the White House when he was trying to tie his shoe. Something would happen for him to be booted out of office. And maybe we have come to that time. The problem is they have no one to fill the seat with because Kamala Harris is just a horrible replacement and she's not quite prepared for That one Coming up on the show today, we have Michael Stickler. He is the author of the latest book, Cliven Bundy, An American Hero. For those that don't remember, Cliven Bundy was the one that did the federal standoff against federal agents back in 2014 at his ranch in Nevada. And uh, uh, Michael Stickler sat down with Cliven Bundy to write a book about him and what his purpose was and what he was doing and wrote that book. We'll talk about that book and what he learned from those experiences and from that uh, standoff back in 2014. Uh, uh, with Clive and Bundy on The Ranch. Michael Stickler, he'll be joining us and talking about just government oppression overall. We have some interesting stories that I've kind of seen throughout the last months and years of how just the government has kind of pushed the boundary on their control and oppression over us. When do we draw that line? How and where do we draw that line? And what do we do about it when things just get a little bit too bad? It's things that we don't like to talk about because we just want to live our lives we want to go to work we want to make money we want to come home put food on the table and take care of our family and sometimes the government seems to find ways to get their dirty little greedy hands in the way and make things more complicated on our front line so we'll talk about coming uh, that coming up here in just a little bit speaking of by the way the federal government getting their hands and things they probably shouldn't do here's the latest in our stories of the day What's trending today? So, this is very concerning to me. We knew it was going to happen. I didn't think it would happen this soon. I figured that they would wait until the next presidential election after the midterms. But we do have a midterm where Republicans right now are polling anywhere between 10 to 15 points higher than Democrats overall, which is a major concern for Democrats who are afraid of losing their power and control over the peons and over the masses. That is you and i so according to newsmax.com apparently today there's been a bipartisan senate group that is officially introduced into the floor uh, the senate floor reform bills on the electoral process oh yes get ready here it comes We are months away from the general election of 2022 in the midterms. We have primaries that have been going on for months now. Ours here in the state of Kansas, where I'm hailing from right now with our flagship. That's happening on August 2nd in about a week and a half away. So we're trying to prepare ourselves. And while we're getting ready for the midterms of this year, you need to be aware of the federal government's trying to do and slipping in. While they're all worked up about what Joe Biden said about having cancer or not having cancer, you need to be a little concerned of what they're trying to enforce and what they're trying to work on now with bipartisan legislation. And I say that with air quotes for our radio listeners, of bipartisanship, because it really is like Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski and Mitt Romney, who are the hack Republicans who despise Trump and don't want anything to happen again. So that way the federal government can come in, swoop down, control the elections and have all the power to make sure that the right candidate gets into office. According to Newsmax.com, a bipartisan group of U.S. senators introduced two bills on Wednesday aimed at reforming a longstanding election law that entered the spotlight when Donald Trump used his efforts to overturn his 2020 loss to Democrat President Joe Biden. There it is. They know exactly what they're doing. We don't want anybody to challenge what our decision ends up being at the end of the day. Again, we're going to make sure that we secure this moving forward. One bill would reform the 1887 electoral count act by clarifying the appropriate state and federal roles and choosing the president and vice president and provide guidance on uh, guidelines on where the federal resources can be allocated on eligible presidential candidates let me be clear we have an electoral college some may not like it but we have something called an electoral college andy how does that work and a nice little lump sum real quick uh verbatim here we have different based on population we have certain number of electoral college votes per state and then they choose and cast their votes for a presidential candidate based on for the most part the popular vote of that state based on different regions based on different districts some do it as a one lump sum you know what the entire state went this direction so we're going to cast them this way other states do it by district almost like a congressional seat and this district over here uh had went to this candidate this district over here went to this candidate so we're going to split our votes and vote in different ways so very few do that i know nebraska does that maybe one or two other states for the most part though they go and popular vote statewide uh, uh across the nation now they want to reform this Electoral Count Act by clarifying appropriate state and federal roles. So the question is, what are the appropriate state and federal roles in counting the Electoral College votes? The appropriate state and federal roles are federal government stay the hell out of it and let the states be able to cast their Electoral College votes. And then the third branch or this uh, third party are the ones that come in and vote or count at least the Electoral College, the Electoral College itself nationwide, votes, and then they count all the votes from the nation of each state, and then they say, all right, look at this, there we are. We have all of the candidates and we have all the votes. Here's what it is. The federal government doesn't get involved unless there's a question of it, and then they have to investigate which is what was attempted in 2020 when we got the, remember, it was the big day of the insurrection on January 20th. We sat there in Congress and they, the Senate opened up the big yellow envelope and they said, all right, these are all the state votes. And if you have a challenge of these, then you question them, you raise your hand on the floor and you say, I challenge this vote because of X, Y, and Z. It's time for an investigation, in which case they would debate it and then they would investigate it and then they would secure it or they would unsecure it and say whether it was valid or not. That's the process, and that process seems to work relatively well. If Democrats remember, even with the attempt of that, it still did not overturn the election for Donald Trump. So, I think the system works pretty well. And at least they would think that the system works pretty well with this checks and balance system. What they want to do with the reform to clarify, now again, this is not essentially changing the way the law is done, but this is quote-unquote clarifying. In other words... We're doing kind of like what we do with our gun bills, writing a bill to reinforce another bill to say this is what we have to do. And we're being told we already have to do this, but we have to write another bill to tell us to reaffirm that this is what we have to do in this order. Which brings up a lot of wishy-washiness because then they can start enforcing one instead of the other. And they leave a lot of wiggle room and gray areas on what their role is as the federal government compared to the role of the state governments. The second part of this is really the most concerning part. According to the New York Times, one measure would make it tougher for lawmakers to challenge a state's electoral vote when Congress meets to make it make the official count. In other words, well, the process that we already have where they open up the envelope and they read the votes for the state and then someone can challenge it and say, hey, do we have a second challenge? And then why do you want to challenge it? And then we debate it and then we investigate it. Apparently, that's not a very good process and we need to make it tougher. I don't know how you can make it tougher, but they want to make it tougher. Why? Because the process seemed to work in their favor even when it was tested just a couple years ago. Why would they want to challenge it? Here's the big reason why you want to challenge it. Not to look backwards, but looking forwards. What has been the major electoral vote movement going on in the nation for the last few years that has slowly but surely gained some momentum? The national popular vote. And what that essentially does is it erases the Electoral College. It doesn't erase it and get rid of it. But what it does is it tells the states that sign on to the national popular vote movement that regardless of what your state's popular vote looked like, the Electoral College votes for that state would actually be cast not for what the state voted for, but what the national popular vote voted for. So even if your state, let's say Nebraska, Nebraska, or Kansas, where I'm from, or Oklahoma, or anywhere here in the Mid-America region uh, that's east of California and west of New York, essentially, what they would essentially say is that even though you may have voted Republican in your state overwhelmingly, by 60-70% margin, the national popular vote, meaning all the people in a quote-unquote democracy, in a democratic system, which we do not have in this nation, but they try to say we do, the popular vote nationwide went for the Democrat, therefore... I know you guys voted for the Republican, but your electoral college votes is actually go to the Democrat because that's the popular one nationwide as a whole. They don't want to get rid of the national or get rid of the electoral college. They just want to ensure it. So if it's more of a challenge to challenge the electoral college when they do implement this enough states sign on, then when they go and they try to make the vote official in Washington, D.C., you wouldn't be able to challenge your electoral college in your state because Sorry. It's already sealed and done. We're making it official whether you challenge it or not. Even as someone who did not vote for it, even as a state who did not vote for that candidate and your Electoral College vote somehow ended up going towards the other candidates, you can't challenge it and we're going to make it more difficult for you. This has nothing to do with Donald Trump any longer. They do want to make sure Donald Trump can't challenge it again if he tries to run for a second time. But... It's not about that. It's about moving forward with their own agenda in the long term, which Democrats are really, really good at with their long term agenda. They want this national popular vote. They want to centralize the elections and they don't want you to have the ability to challenge it when they pretty much take over the entire process. Kind of scary, isn't it? The Voice of Reason with Andy Usher.
1: bring some reason into your day
0: this is the voice of reason with andy hoosier i love how they try to weasel in their agenda little by little when you don't notice it and you're thinking so much of the past but guess what the process worked at least in their minds now a lot of individuals obviously didn't think the process was working which is why we saw individuals go into the capitol on january 6th while they were doing this process which you got to admit the process is staged We already know its stage. I mean, honestly, what was going to happen? They were going to challenge some of the states. They were going to bicker about it. They knew they didn't have the votes to do so. And then it was going to move forward anyways and get officialized. And be permanentized for the electoral college, and it would be done anyways. But many Republicans did try to stand up and fight it, either because they truly believed it or because they wanted the photo op and the couple little point, uh, the, the nice little uh, 30 second audio clip of them saying that they challenged it for their uh, voter base. Either way, we already know that the entire process is staged. That's one thing. I said that a couple of days ago the fakeness of the world today is absolutely unbelievable. Like walking through Vegas, you just realize everything's fake. The palm trees are fake. The, you know, all the flashiness is fake. It's just not really there. It's just fake. It's pretend. Washington, D.C., everything they do as well, when they do a vote on the floor of the House or of the Senate, they already know what the results are going to be. They already know who's going to vote for it or else they would not put it up there for a vote. Very, very rarely does it actually get a surprise shoot down or a surprise passing uh, because they already know, they already have their whips. And for those that don't know, each party has their quote-unquote whip where they go to other members of the party and say, hey, you need to vote for this because of or you don't need to vote for this because of. And they went over their constituents and they went over their elected officials and they give them nice little free. Hey, we'll give you this project if you vote for this or we won't give you this product unless you vote for this or whatever. It's what they do. They already have this all done. It's already a show. It is. They just go through the motions when they're on the floor actually debating or actually voting on something. It's already in act and they already know what the end result is going to be before they even do it. So I get the frustration for those that were at the Capitol on January 6th. That's not what we're here to discuss, though. The federal government's starting to realize, though, that states are taking matters into their own hands when it comes to the electoral process. Kansas, and I know I talk a lot about it being from here in Kansas, but we do really have one of the iconic states of uh, voter integrity and voter security. And I'm very proud of that. And I think our secretary of state here does a very good job of that. And as soon as the electoral process was done for 2020 and all the concerns about voter fraud happened, guess what Georgia did? Georgia passed a voting law to try and tighten things up with their voter security. And what did they do? They based their law off of what we do here in the state of Kansas. But one thing we haven't talked about in a good long while is the Electoral College. Now, I've tried to start a movement, and I will continue to try and grow this movement and bring awareness to this, but I really, truly, honestly think that we need to have an electoral college on the statewide levels. What we do at the federal level, let's bring it down to a smaller scale and do it for the states. Any statewide race, whether it's a Senate race, whether it's a governor's race, whether it's an attorney general's race, whether it's secretary of state race, whether it's the, you know, the secretary of insurance or whatever the hell they have at the statewide level in your state. I think those need to be as well done by Electoral College to make things a little bit more fair to balance out the votes, because right now in the states, we can see case after case after case here in Kansas, out in New York, in New Jersey, all over the state, all over the country where statewide races are winning based on the quote-unquote democratic popular vote, which means one or two large cities in your state dominate the entire election for a statewide race. And rural communities, which I get are starting to dwindle, which are I get are starting to disappear, they're having less and less of, less of a voice. And it's time for that to stop. We need to not get rid of the Electoral College, but expand it even to local races, and at least statewide races. But these guys, they realize it's not going anywhere, They want to use it in tandem with the national popular vote movement that's going to allow Democrats to pretty much ensure the presidency forever moving forward if they get enough states to sign on to this. Then they want to make it more difficult for you to challenge it and say, wait, my state's Electoral College votes went towards the candidate that did not win in our state. We want to challenge these. And they're going to say, no, sorry, you can't challenge these because now we're the federal government and we're here to verify and secure what these votes look like and therefore we can make sure. That our our people stay in power, I find that a little concerning. Michael Stickler coming up right around the corner on the Voice of Reason. Stay here.
1: The Voice of Reason
0: with Andy Hoosier.
1: When Reason Meets Radio,
0: you're listening to The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right you are. Welcome back into the program. All over the country, multiple radio stations, TV stations, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch or listen to the show. Welcome. What up? Great to have you for today. Trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that five-pound bag, trying to rebrand the millennial generation one radio listener at a time. Hold on here. My mic seems again. my mic always seems to like to fall down here. And again, thank God I don't work for a unionized company, because if I did, then I'd have to wait for the union guy to come and like adjust my microphone for me. <laughs> I mean, uh, see what did there. See what I did there. Welcome back into the show. Lots to get to as we've been talking about government intrusion the last for the first half hour of the program. We've talked about this election discussion going on at the federal level is now the bipart? I love how they use that bipartisan committee in the Senate has officially put two different bills on the floor now to discuss, making it challenging, more challenging to uh, challenge an electoral college vote in your state. Is it because of the 2020 election or is it moving forward with their national popular vote? So that way they don't have to get rid of the electoral college. You just can't challenge it when your electoral college in your state votes for the national popular guy, which is usually the Democrat with their big cities, as opposed to whatever that your state specifically actually voted for a little bit concerning as we talk about some government intrusion you remember all the way back Ben? what was it like 2013 20, 2014 i believe with the standoff in nevada with the federal government yeah let's talk about that for a minute what do you say come on
1: what's trending today as i'm excited
0: to have this guy on the program he is author of the new book cliven bundy american patriot it's michael stickler on the line with us here mike how are you my friend
2: I'm well, Andy. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you coming on the show. Fascinating conversation with this because I don't look everybody and I live in the heart of the country. I live in Kansas. I mean, where's we just like to go to work. We like to make our money. We like to come home, have enough money to put food on the table, have our family time and just enjoy life a little bit with a barbecue in the backyard with our family and our friends and our neighbors. That's all we want. And it seems like that just normalcy that we thrive for in life gets more and more challenging when the government seems to find new ways to intrude upon us.
2: It's really quite amazing. And what they did to Cliven is is just beyond the pale. Um, I've been saying it's not just government intrusion. It's really Stalinistic, the things that happened to Cliven. And, and all that man wanted to do is farm and ranch and and live out in the desert where he and his family had lived for 157 years. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just it's just amazing what happened to him. And most people don't understand it because because the news didn't report it.
0: That's true. Well, yeah, for those that may have forgotten about this incident or have no clue what we're talking about, give kind of some anopsis of what happened to Clive and Bundy and the family out at the ranch in Nevada.
2: So the Bundys have been... Um, ranching, and out here in the West, um, the the public land that's here, there's vast, vast um, swaths of public land, and ranchers have been using this public land for, you know, centuries, um, grazing their cattle, and Cliven's family is one of those. In fact, Cliven's family has been grazing cattle in the southern part of Nevada um, since before the Bureau of Land Management even existed, and so he's been out there farming. He's now the fourth fourth or fifth generation now, farming and ranching in this area. And what what happened was is the government came and, and ordered that he is cattle be um uh impounded so that in essence what they wanted to do is um take the cattle off the land in order to uh build more more solar panel farms in the area. And what they didn't anticipate is that Cliven and his family and his, his church and his friends in the area would stand up and protest protest against them. And uh, what's unique is what was interesting, again, not told in the media, is at first when they were doing the protest, they were only, you know, they only had maybe 50 people during lunch hour because, you know, people can't devote to going out and, and protesting and marching with signs and everything. Sure. So they just had a few of them. And then when the when the BLM, Bureau of Land Management, and the federal government escalated it into violence, people then started coming from all over the country because they were up in arms. They just kind of called it as it is. You know, we got to stop this. We can't let this continue to happen. And uh, that's when people started to flood into the area. Ironically, by the time most of them flooded into the area, the whole thing was over, but Nevertheless, um, Cliven just wanted to stay on the land, graze his cattle, as he is doing today, um, as and as his family had done for 150 years.
0: Yeah, the media didn't cover a whole lot once the case was done and he was released. So, what's happening to him now? Because obviously, you had a chance to sit down and and chat with him and be able to write this book, but the post. Uh, standoff with the federal government that the media didn't want to report on because it didn't go really in their favor, I don't think. What's happening now and what did happen shortly after?
2: So, when I met Clive, and I, I sat and visited with him, I, it was really just by happenstance that we had met, and he and I became friends. And originally, I started just to ask questions, you know, what happened? You know? Yeah. And the more he told me, the more I, I just was astounded at the things that had happened. And so, I kept prodding him and saying, you know, you ought to write a book, Clive, and you ought to write a book. Now, I'm an author. I've been writing books uh, since 2000, but I had, I've never written a book like this. I'd never written a book even sort of like this, but I was fascinated with it. He finally prompted me to do it, to write the book. And so I spent two months interviewing Clive, and, and then I spent two, almost three more months researching every detail that he told me to see um, where it was true. And I, just like so many others... When I met Cliven at first, you know, I, I thought he was a wackadoo. I thought, you know, my initial thought was the guy just is crazy. Sure. And the more I got to um, know him and the more I found out his position, I, the more it, it rang, really rang true. So much so that as the book was coming to, um, as we were really now in earnest writing it, I attended every single day of his federal trial. I also attended every single, um, well, really hours of the Ninth Circuit's hearing over his case and what came out in the federal trial is beyond shocking things like the federal government had been wiretapping him and his family without warrants (laughs) even to the point where they were wiretapping him while he was in jail talking to his attorney without warrants they were uh, they were ordered only to by the they were given a warrant by the federal judge in las vegas to gather the cattle and hold them to return back to Cliven. They had actively attempted to sell those cattle before, the, before he even was given an opportunity. In fact, they advance paid the stockyard eighty-seven thousand dollars. They spent nearly four million dollars gathering Cliven's cattle. That's well money spent. And then they had a budget of nearly a hundred million more to prosecute the Bundy nineteen. Wow. It, it, and, and at the end of the trial, and it really never made the media, a, a, a whistleblower memo came out from the investigative officer that was in charge at the Bureau of Land Management. He was in charge of doing the investigation and pulling all the information together for the trial. He um, couldn't do it anymore. His ethics wouldn't allow it. And he wrote a whistleblower memo, 18 pages of all the insane things that the government had, had done to the Bundys. And so when when the judge in Nevada, she was, by the way, the presiding federal judge in Nevada, when she uh, came to the point, and I'll never forget when it happened, it was December 14th in 2017, she cleared the courtroom and she said, you know what, I have some real concerns with this case. And she read down 16 concerns that she had including just some of those I've already mentioned and many, many others. And then she dismissed the case and said, we'll all return back um, to go as the, as the attorneys file their briefs. They will return back on January the 8th. But I'm, I'm leaning towards dismissing this entire case with prejudice, meaning that the, the federal government couldn't um, charge them any further. Sure. And, and it, it's just, um, it, it's scary to hear what they had done. It uh, is very scary. Here's another.
0: But now, why, yeah, why, one. why them? I, I go. I, I want to hear some more in a second because this is fascinating. But why them? Why would they go to such, uh, such an extent to go after the Bundys like that just for land that he was letting his cattle graze on? Like, that's crazy.
2: Yeah. And, and most people, uh, you know, when I wrote the book, I had to go into the why. Now, I'm a Nevadan as well. I live on the other end of the state. I live on the northern end of the state, so we're Clive and I are literally 10 hours apart, but I'm very familiar with how the Bureau of Land Management operates. And so what was happening in those days, if you remember, under the Obama administration, um, there was a big push for renewable energy, and there was a lot of money flowing into Nevada to build solar panel farms. Well, the difficulty was is that the desert tortoise that lives down in that area was under the um, you know national or federal protection act, so you couldn't you couldn't take land for commercial purposes, even public land for commercial purposes in Southern Nevada without um, designating. They call it mitigation, designating land for the tortoise. Okay, so they were building they were building these panels everywhere, so they needed to designate land, and they looked over at. at the land that cliven has been grazing on, which is roughly 600,000 acres. And they said, well, here's this old Scofflaw over here who we've had, you know, who doesn't want to agree with anything we do. We're just going to take his land, name that the place for the tortoises so that we can make money building solar panels all throughout um, southern Nevada. Wow. And what they didn't anticipate. And they really didn't. They didn't anticipate that Cliven and his family were going to stand up to him like they did. They thought they were just going to push him over. Sure. So they they actually created. Now this is important for your listeners to hear. They actually created six threat assessments, six different threat assessments <laughs> that the that the prosecutors alluded to, saying that these are really dangerous domestic terrorists. And at one point, they argued that if you give him bail, he's going to be out there and then. Nevada, surrounded by his own little army, defending himself. We'll never get him out of there. You can't give him bail.
0: Mike, we got well, we got to take a hard break here. Can you stick over one more segment with us? I'd happy to, sure. Awesome. I appreciate it. I love this conversation. This is fascinating how far the government will go to demonize someone just for their own personal agenda. We'll continue this conversation when we come back here. It's Mike Stickler, Cliven Bundy. American Patriot is the book. Lots more coming up here on The Voice of Reason. Stay the here. Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier.
1: Fighting for freedom every day.
0: The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. That's what we do on this show every day. Freedom, reason, common sense, rationale. That's what we're all about here on The Voice of Reason. Welcome back in. Last few minutes of the program as we go down this road of showing how far the government goes when they don't get what they want and they demonize the common folk, the peasants, the and I. On the Common Street, there was another headline from a couple of months ago, this was back in like April, I believe, where a man by the name of Amos Miller, an Amish individual, had his private food club members said that they don't want their grass-fed meat treated with chemically preserv- uh, chemical preservatives that were required from USDA's approved processing plants of meat. He was a farmer and was processing his own meat and uh, apparently the government didn't like the fact that he wasn't turning it into a processing plant where they put the chemicals in it to preserve it to be able to sell it on the market. So what did the government do? They rolled in, they took his stock, they arrested him, they, pay, they charged him $250,000 in contempt of court, and then they also charged him near $50,000 in order for him as a good-faith payment to be able to avoid jail. As the practice is, rotationalized grazing on a small farm, historically managed uh, near the Bird-in-Hand Pennsylvania area, his heritage breed cows are raised on organic pastures, with the chickens following behind, so on and so forth. Around 4,000 customers he had with his private members-only food-buying club depended on his meat, eggs, and dairy products, as well as fermented fruits and vegetables. And the government said, uh-uh. We're not getting any control over that, so therefore we're going to shut you down. We've seen these stories all over the place, including the one that we're talking about here. Cliven Bundy, American Patriot, is the book. You can check it out on Amazon. You can also check it out at leadershipbooks.com. And the author, Mike Stickler, on the line with us here. Mike, you were talking about some of these different cases and why... They're trying to demonize individuals so bad. It really seems more and more that we hear about stories from the federal government that they're just kind of the mobster bullies that if they don't get what they want, they will make sure that the media and that the general public thinks you are the worst person on earth and that you are enemy number one.
2: There's no doubt about it. And that's exactly what they did to the Bundy family. Before the break, I was mentioning that they had created these threat assessments, the FBI, Bureau of Land Management, uh, the Forest Service, the Park Service created different um, uh, threat assessments. And the prosecution claimed over and over again that these threat assessments proved that they, that the Bundys were domestic terrorists. Yet they would never produce those threat assessments throughout all these claims. At one point, they were, uh, in order to keep uh, Cliven and the Bundy 19 in jail... Uh, they were saying that he uh, because he's a domestic threat, a threat to the entire country, that he would be out there with an army of people and they would never get him out. And he's, he's dangerous to all of us in, in the United States. Well, it turns out when the federal judge forced them after many attempts to get the uh, threat assessments to produce, when she finally forced them to produce them, those threat assessments did said nothing of the sort. What they actually said was the Bundys were no threat at all. Only one of them said, "If you irritate the sons enough, m- one of them might take a swing at you," <laughs> which I think you could, which I think you could say about for just about every American male there is. Yeah, and and so it these things, the things that they produced um, over and over again to seize his cattle and put him in jail for four hundred plus days, facing nearly 400 years in prison um, and it was really just a miracle of god that that the judge saw through it and uh and released him all of the 19 but one are free now based on that one judgment the the last guy he's still in prison and um he's facing 68 years
0: uh, and why is he ahead in jail of still
2: him. well because he was actually uh, two of the two of the uh, defendants were found guilty and or pled guilty one or the other and so once once you are at that stage of guilty status it's um it's a much higher standard to get it reversed and come back out of it you'd think it would be easy after what the judge saw sure. but there's there's motions upon motions and there's a bunch of legal wrangling uh, all the other guys did that legal wrangling and and he's the last one still trying to work through it again very difficult to do when you have a public defender and you're trying to get yourself out of prison. It just becomes a long wait while you do that. Yeah, and wow. and I I also like to point out, you know, what the Bundys went through is very much what the January six, many of the January six people are going through. Uh, those defendants, um, the same kind of thing. In fact, one of the Bundy nineteen, his name is Todd Engel. He wrote when when uh, the indictments came down on the January sixth defendants. He wrote that. He just simply said, "Get your affairs in order. Yep. Get your money out of your bank's accounts. Sign over your property to your family and friends. And start fighting. Protect your and protect your your stuff because you're going to lose it all, and you're going to jail for years until it's, it's over."
0: Mike, we're out of time. My friend is Cliven Bundy, American patriot. Go and check it out on Amazon on the books as well as the website at LeadershipBooks.com. Mike, it's great to talk to you, my friend. We got to do this again soon, brother.
2: I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Andy.
0: Absolute pleasure. Podcast up in a bit. We're back at it tomorrow. Until then, have a great afternoon. Sandy hey, Andy Hoosier. You know, when I get off the air every day, the battle for me against limited government censorship and even unfactual content is far from over. That's why now I'm so happy to say that the Hoosier Media Network is giving you more opportunity to catch the voice of reason along with other great shows and podcasts. It's been a long time in the works, and now you can finally enjoy more great content, services, and topical shows. We're the safe space for alternative to talk information and ideas that the mainstream media absolutely hates from holistic and alternative medicine discussions on religion and spirituality here entertainment shows and of course yours truly with the voice of reason Plus, we offer numerous media services, including helping you set up your own podcast, become your own voice of reason, and bring your expertise to any fun issue or topic. For information on all of our shows, links to podcasts, each show website or social media link, or to find out about everything we do to challenge the mainstream establishment, visit our website at HoosierMedia.com. Again, that's HoosierMedia.com, the future of media.